It's crucial not to panic or break down in tears during an emergency. We have people relying on us to provide logical and purposeful actions. So those who want to live a self-reliant life and one that is not looking to the government or some other agency for help really need practical tips for cultivating a mindset capable of handling crisis. Let's talk about some strategies and training our minds so we can improve our ability to respond effectively when faced with a crisis. Hey, this is episode 789 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. And guys, I also want to say when you sign up for the top preparedness articles, you're also supporting the, the, the podcast. You're supporting, supporting Ready Your Future and all the things that I do out there. So I just I want to shout out to those that are supporting uh, Ready Your Future through the top preparedness articles and buy me a coffee. And I just uh, appreciate you so much. Guys, welcome to another episode. I was looking at the analytics and I want to give a quick shout out to a couple of cities because I was able to, to drill down on the United States. And when you drill down to the United States, if you look at the states, um, there's a, you know, the top is Texas and then California, then New York, right? And I guess I really never noticed New York being in the top three. But when you go to the cities, it's, it's quite a different picture. So the, the top city that has the most downloads for the podcast is New York, New York. And that's like, that's crazy, right? I would have, I would have thought that maybe Texas was at the top because Texas was one of the top states. But then you have second is Bozeman, Montana. So thank you all of you who are in New York and in Montana listening. Marietta, Georgia, Cleveland, Ohio, Trenton, New Jersey. Those are the top five. Then it's Dallas, Texas. Hey, my, my Texas people there. Fort Collins, Colorado, Charlotte, North Carolina, Jackson, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee. You have to get to number 11 to finally get to Houston, Texas. And so I just want to shout out to all of you. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Ready Your Future podcast. I'm recording this late on Monday morning, and I know I've shared with you, I've had a family member move in. Uh, my father-in-law moved in about a month ago, a little over a month ago. And uh, he, he's a great guy, uh, really, really like him. I mean, we're, we really have a, a great relationship. Uh, I did give up my office so that he could have a bedroom. And I moved my desk and everything that I do to my bedroom, my, my master bedroom in a little corner. And that's kind of where I do my videos. That's where I do church. That's where I'm doing the podcast. And so I'm finding it a little bit harder to record when uh, I can I can do it and I'm free from all the other you know things that are going on in, in in the house. So I used to record on Sunday mornings. I would have my sermon ready ready to go and everything you know by Saturday night, and then su- Sunday morning I would record the podcast, and so it would be ready to go. And now I'm just struggling to have uh, time to be able to do that. You know I can record in the in the uh, the truck, and that's a lot easier to do that. I mean, I have a, a little bit of time there, but I don't get notes and stuff like that. 
uh, at the very most, if I if I do jot down a couple of things, I do it on a sticky note and kind of stick it to my steering wheel if I'm uh, if I'm if I'm if I need notes. But I wouldn't be able to do a whole podcast that way. And I think I've got it down to where the sound is really you know, really good. I have a really good sound in uh, you know in the truck when I'm there, not picking up a lot of the road noise and things like that. Um, but then you know it, that's that's the struggle. And so I, I need to come up with a. I guess uh, a schedule where I can go ahead and and do it where it is it works out. I've done them on Sunday evenings, like when everyone has gone to bed. Uh, it's just like my wife is asleep and and everybody else is asleep, and so I'm doing the podcast. And then when I edit, I put on headphones so that she doesn't hear the uh, she doesn't hear the edits and you know going back and forth and all the different kinds of things that I'm doing there. So uh, I'll I'll figure out a way to do that. You know, keep me in your prayers that I uh, that I come up with a way that just would be sensible to where it doesn't you know kill me, and then also at the same time you know I'm able to put out the content that I feel I need to be putting out. All right, so uh, this episode is uh, called "Are You One of the Ten Percent?" and the article that we're going to base this podcast episode off of is 10 Ways to Train Your Brain to Respond in a Crisis." Now, this one comes to us from survivalmom.com. It's an older article that's been refreshed, but I'm going to go ahead and read this article, but then I'm going to come back and I have five other ways, five other things that we can do to help train our brain. And then not only our brain, but to help our families as well in times of crisis. So let's go ahead and jump to the article. Like I said, it's called 10 Ways to Train Your Brain to Respond in a Crisis. And it comes to us from the survival mom. So let's go ahead and start reading. How would you rate yourself when responding to crisis? Did you know you can train your brain to improve your reactions? When I first began researching survival and preparedness, I can't tell you how many hours were spent in shock and panic. I read about the golden hordes who would soon, very soon, descend upon my suburban home, shooting, stealing, and raping, although not in that particular order. According to some survivalists, we're approaching a tipping point at which our world will begin to run out of oil and will be thankful to have two rocks to rub together to create heat. Then there were tales of a hidden planet, Planet X, on its way to destroy Earth. In my early prepping years, there were days I wasn't so sure I even wanted to survive such scenarios. Anyone who has only known security is in for a shock when their normalcy bias begins to struggle with information about these possible scenarios and many others, far more realistic. In this article, I'll give you some ideas to train your brain and improve your crisis response. Recently, I came upon this interesting statistic. In a crisis, 10% of people will panic, 80% will do nothing, and only 10% will act quickly and appropriately. And that's where the article or the episode title comes into play, guys. You know, are you one of the 10%? So moving on, as a mom, I realize that my kids can't afford for me to be part of the 10% that panic or the 80% who do nothing. Parents do not have the luxury of panicking or breaking down in tears when a situation desperately calls for logic and purposeful action. Picture this situation. You and your children or grandchildren are in the middle of an intense emergency. The young ones are already scared, perhaps even hysterical. They la the last thing they need is a parent, grandparent, or other loved one who has lost all sense of reason. At that moment, in spite of your own fears, you must be the adult in charge. The options otherwise are not pretty. So how do you cultivate a mindset capable of handling a major crisis without experiencing it firsthand or living in a war zone? Now, let me, I just want to touch on this just really quickly. The last, 
devotional that I put out. I talked a little bit about mindset and Abraham's mindset, the, the change that he needed for him to be able to believe that he was going to have a son, that God was going to bless him with that. And God said he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, you know, the father of, um, of, of the father, the father of many, I think Abraham, I don't have my notes with me, so uh, forgive me on that one. But then Abraham means the father of, of a multitude. And so God was like, Hey, I'm giving you, you need a mind shift, Abraham, to get away from thinking that you can't have a, a child that I can't bless you with that. And so in order to do that, I'm going to change your name so that anytime someone calls you by name, you understand that, that mind shift, that it's in your, you're, you're hearing it, right? It's, you're hearing it as part of who you are. And that's part of that mind shift change that we need in preparedness is it's not a lot of the times we look at one thing and we say, okay, we got it. We need that mind shift where we need to be in front of it a, you know, a lot more often. We need to be hearing it. We need to be rehearsing it. And that's part of where that mind shift change happens. And a lot of that happens inside of your own mind and in your brain. And you need to be able to continue you know, doing that and working through that. And so that's why a mind shift is so important in anything really that you're, you're tending to do. You need to be able to settle that in your mind first before moving forward. So let's move forward in this, epi- in this article here. So this really should be number one. You need to decide what group you belong to. That is, decide that you will be in that 10% who takes appropriate action when faced with an emergency or drastic change. That choice fosters a survival mindset. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of links here. So you'll probably want to go to this, uh, this website article and click on a lot of the links here. So number one is be situationally aware always. Do your thinking and planning now. Situational awareness is a foundational skill that takes practice, develop, and consistent use to maintain and improve. Make it a habit to ask yourself what if questions. Make it an everyday habit to be observant of the people and activity around you. If there's one book I believe every woman from around age 15 or so should read, it's CIA Street Smarts for Women by B.D. Foley. About a third of the way through the book, I realized the book has vital information for my son too. The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker is another must read. Both books are life-changing and potentially life-saving. I've heard of that gift of fear. I've just never read it. I might look to see if it's on Audible. So how can you practice situational awareness? Here's a a fun exercise that you can do when you're out and about. Begin inventing stories in your head about the people you see around you. Invent a name for them. What do they do for a living? Why are they here right now? Believe it or not, this mental exercise trains your brain to pay even closer attention to details. What are they wearing? Who is with them? What clues do you see to enhance this imaginary story? Sounds strange, but give it a try. Take a minute when you get in your car to go anywhere and think about what you will do if you are struck in your car or stuck in your car for several hours, or if you have to walk home from wherever you are going. When you arrive, check for exits and think about what scenarios could happen while you were there and what you would do. It only takes a few minutes, but I find that it also lets me enjoy what I'm doing. I have prepared my mind for what could happen, and this preparation lets me focus on what I am doing instead of worrying. As you're practicing situational awareness, teach it to your kids and grandkids. It will heighten their awareness to the goings-on around them, and should a dangerous situation arise, they will already be alert and ready. Read this post of how to play the what-if game with them for this purpose. Again, like I said, guys, a lot of great links here. The second thing you can do is be smart about where you go. This is closely related to situational awareness. 
when it comes to survival, nothing beats not being at the wrong place at the wrong time. If you're hearing about mob riots in the local shopping mall, doesn't it make sense to avoid that mall or even all malls in that area? What if the flu virus is making the rounds in a big way? It makes sense to wash your hands frequently and stay away from big crowds. If that means keeping your kids home for a few days while the virus runs its course, so be it. This step requires you to really take charge of your life and stand your ground if your actions are questioned. It's better to round up the kids and leave a park where a group of questionable people have congregated and be on the safe side than to ignore the possibility of danger and end up in a situation you cannot get out of. Don't ever put your safety or that of your kids in danger to avoid hurting someone's feelings or looking a little foolish. Really great advice right there. Number three, take control of electronics. Another one related to situational awareness, get control of the electronics in your life. I can't imagine anything that will put your life in danger more quickly than having your face buried in a cell phone or other electronic. And if that doesn't describe you, it probably describes someone in your family. Situational awareness is 100% impossible when your mental focus and all five senses are focused on a tiny electronic screen. It's arguably the opposite of training your brain. Take steps to limit the amount of time you spend in front of your screens, TV, computer, cell phone, tablets, etc. for survival reasons alone. Number four is keep learning. Train your brain with training. Make a list of skills and training that would be valuable for you to learn and set some goals for acquiring it. Schedule it on the calendar and follow through. Here's an example from my own life of why. Several years ago, I was in a public restroom when I saw an elderly woman standing at the sink with blood streaming from her nose. While I stood there for a second, another woman rushed to her side, holding handfuls of paper towels. She quickly gave the woman instructions for stopping the nosebleed. I was so frustrated with myself for pausing and not doing the same thing. I knew the basics of dealing with nosebleeds, but didn't have much practical experience. Looking back, I realized that the second woman was probably a nurse and had more medical training than I did. She reacted so fast with the certainty that can only come with training and experience. While processing emergency scenarios and putting your plans and solutions in writing is a great first step, getting practical hands-on training will ensure those plans happen. You'll have a much greater level of self-confidence that will communicate itself to everyone around you. And I really like that aspect of it. Make a list. If you're making that list, make it of things that are really beneficial to you. Sometimes in the prepper world, survival world, we think about going out to the woods. I mean, that was like at the very beginning of the movement, that was the scenario, right? You're going out to the woods and you need all these bushcraft skills. Well, if you're never planning on that, and I'm not saying that's, that's not bad. I mean, I love going out to, you know, camping and being out in the woods. And I loved going to the country when we, when we had a place out there and there's nothing wrong with that, but let those come when you have the other skills that are more important to build upon, you know, and you have those skills, you know, set inside of you and you're able to, to do them a little bit more easily. So practice those skills, make the list of the things that are, that are important for you. Like in this, uh, you know, in this article, it was first aid. First aid would always be beneficial to anyone. And so put that on your list and go get some practical experience with that if you can over the training and then also the experience if you can. All right, so training ideas. This this is the time to take a first aid class. <laughs> exactly what she's saying here. If it's been a while since you took one, take a refresher course. Wilderness first aid is another excellent class. Teens and adults alike can join Civil Air Patrol and get training of all kinds. My son is a CAP member and has taken a week-long search and rescue course and more recently a week of medical training. 
This comes at a very, very low cost, and there is no commitment to the military whatsoever. Community colleges offer classes related to emergency services, and you can even take FEMA classes online. FEMA classes are self-paced and free. You don't have to learn them all right now, but you can gather books and materials on the topic so that you can learn about them whenever you want or need to. Consider printing out anything electronic so that you can have the reference on hand in case of a prolonged power outage or an EMP attack and creating your own preparedness binder. For example, I'm an amateur gardener, so I have several gardening reference books on hand. You could create individual binders for cooking, sewing, medical preparedness, homeschooling, woodworking, etc., in addition to one more general survival mom binder. All right. Um, I don't agree with creating binders this way. I actually have a solution that I'm going to share with y'all probably in the next couple of weeks, but uh, I'm, I'm still working on that. Um, one of the things, though, is not, I mean, not only gardening. Gardening is one of those things, but what about for you if financial preparedness was one of those important topics? Maybe you don't know what to do financially, and so that would be one of those real practical things. Maybe home improvement. Uh, maybe you want to go out and get some skills. That would be a very practical thing for you. How to do some basic plumbing, how to do some you know, basic you know, fix, things that you fix around the house. Those kinds of things would be very beneficial. And that's a preparedness mindset that could serve you, you know, even in a, uh, an emergency situation, but definitely will help you, you know, in everyday life, you know, save a little bit of money and uh, you know, be, be a little bit more frugal. Number five is communicate, communicate, communicate. It's important. Communicate with your spouse and family about the plans you're putting into place. Why? First, should anything ever happen to you, they'll need to know where the stored food is, how to prepare it, how to purify water, how to take care of illness and injuries, and so much more. Remember that training I just mentioned, what you learn and the skills you acquire must be shared with your loved ones. Otherwise, in a crisis, it will be you and you alone trying to manage the whole scene. Why do that to yourself when you can easily teach and train those closest to you? Now, the caveat here is that those that are close to you, your, your spouse and your kids, they, they need to want to be able to go get that kind of training. I'll share a solution about that when I get into the next, uh, into my five that I want to share with you at the end of this. Number six is create a written plan for responding to crisis. For specific crises such as a house fire or a job loss, or if you if you are a woman who must choose to live alone in a car, put your plan in writing and, if possible, actually practice the actions that will keep everyone safe. In the case of a financial crisis, this article is a goldmine of suggestions, but writing out a step-by-step plan is also very helpful. What bills must be paid first? What expenses can be eliminated or drastically cut? If cell phones are on the chopping block, where can you get a super cheap alternative for emergency calls only? What super frugal recipes can you begin to learn in advance? Putting your ideas in writing trains your brain to focus on solutions to a problem and not just the problem itself. Then, if the crisis really does happen, you will have already processed the solution, and if panic sets in, the written plans will help you move forward and not be frozen with fear. That's a great, uh, you know, number six, creating a written plan for all those different things, like what bills need to be paid for, even having some, you know, easy recipes to, to, to have, you know, alongside um, if someone was to lose their job. I mean, all those are great ideas. She has some more great ideas here as we continue on. Uh, other plans that you might want to put into writing are like a severe winter weather plan. And there's links to some of these. 
a long-term power outage of a day or more 22 page pdf resource here so she has a pdf but i also have one as well on what to do during a blackout before after before during and after so there is a link where you can sign up and, and get that one downloaded i also have a video that goes along with that one um other ideas to plan for personal health crises that affect family dynamics and income a likely natural disaster in your area, terrorist attacks, active shooter events, a crisis that happens while you're far away from home. If you live near a highway or railway, maybe a toxic spill, and even a gas station. If you live near a gas station and they have some kind of an issue, a release, you might that might be something to uh, to consider. An epidemic or pandemic that forces you to remain home. <laughs> I think a lot of us uh, have experienced that one, right? Communication lines and the internet are down for an extended period of time. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do if the internet is down, right? How are you going to get your Ready Your Future podcast? Evacuating your home for any reason. This handbook has a complete plan for this. All right, so a lot of great ideas there that you can add. Number seven is learn to improvise. So you won't always have the right tools for the job. Can you improvise when responding to crisis? Instead of asking where you can find a shovel to dig a hole, ask what things you can use to dig a hole. Before you go to bed tonight, ask yourself what you would do if a disaster struck tonight with just what you have in the house. What could you use to substitute for the things you haven't bought yet? Do you have alternatives for cleaning? What options do you have for cooking? How creative could you get with what you have? Number eight, develop muscle memory. Guys, I think this is an important one. This is why we train and we practice. Bug out now and see how you do. Or for someone more low-key, go on an impromptu picnic to see how well you can do with what you have on hand. I did this once with a friend and our children. We brought peaches but forgot the knife to cut it up. What to do? The children could take turns taking bites or we could use a pocket knife from my purse. We needed to sanitize it, so we put some hand sanitizer on it and wiped it down with a baby wipe. We improvised and came up with a solution. You can train your brain to improvise by practicing scenarios. You can do this with family fire drills, tornado drills, intruder drills, etc. Your brain will remember the actions you take, and then if a real emergency happens, you can react quicker. I like that idea of not necessarily doing a bug out, but doing like a bug out picnic. And like, hey, you got five minutes to grab everything you need for a picnic and, and, and going out. That's just a real different take on that. And really, that can fall in line with your family. You're not even doing, uh, you know, calling it a bug out or whatever. But you can just say, hey, okay, everybody gather in the living room. We've got five minutes. We're going on a picnic. You got five minutes to get everything you need. And then everyone goes and scatters and you come back and then you get in the car and you, and you go and then you see how you do. And you don't even really have to tell them that you're, you know, why you're doing it, but you can still talk about, okay, what kinds of things did we miss? You know, this is fun. Let's do it again. How can we do it? You know, how can we do it next time? What would that look like? And all those different kinds of things. All right. Uh, number nine is avoid complacency. It's human nature to get complacent. Once you think you are fully prepared, you may stop thinking and planning. Guys, a lot of preppers fall into that right there right? It's like, I, th I think I'm good. I've, I've uh, prepped a, enough. I've got enough food. I got enough this. And then you get complacent, right? Let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> However, being prepared is a lifestyle, not a checklist. I love that, that sentence there. Being prepared is a lifestyle, not a checklist. You can always be more prepared. A good way to not get complacent is to pick a topic every month to work on. Check your food storage one month. Is, is it stored correctly? Will you actually eat it? Does anything need to be replaced? Do you, do you like your inventory system? Another month, update your grab-and-go binder. Walk through your house and look through your computer files to see if there's anything else to add that you would, wouldn't want to be without. 
Another month, you can sort through your ammo, clean your firearms, make sure they're in good working order. When was the last time you practiced firing them at the range? Train your brain to remember that there's always something to do to be prepared. Don't forget the more mundane tasks like reducing clutter and keeping on top of your finances. The more you stay on top of, the easier it is to enjoy day-to-day life. The other thing to add here is that it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to do these things. Like if, if you're going to focus on you know one month, a couple of hours on a Saturday or whatever, and you're able to do that, and you can, you, you can stay on top of things. All right, the last one here is practice breathing training. And I think this is a very important one. And finally, number 10 is practice breathing. So this is a very small but highly practical skill for responding to crisis. It's something that I call survival breathing. I've taught it to my kids and practice it with them, especially when they're facing a highly stressful event, like taking the SAT test for college or getting ready to go up to bat in a competitive, competitive baseball game. This breathing technique does something amazing to your brain, which after all is where all reactions begin. With practice, you can train your brain to do this automatically when, when needed. So there is a link to this article that where she talks a little bit more about practice breathing. And I'm going to, you know, of course, it's linked in the article, so you can always go there with all the other links. But basically, here it is. Um, this is a, the simple directions for the breathing technique. You take four seconds, one, two, three, four, to inhale, taking a slow, deep breath. So you take that in, four seconds, you hold it. You hold that breath for another four seconds. So you're taking in a breath for a total of four seconds, right? One, two, three, four. You hold that for four seconds, one, two, three, four. You exhale for uh, four seconds, you know, a count of four, one, two, three, four. And then you relax for four seconds before taking another breath. And so you can do that a couple of times in a, you know, in a revolution. And so you're, that's what, 16 seconds that you're, you're using. And then you kind of repeat that. Maybe you do that four times and uh, that will help to calm, you know, calm you and to, to keep you uh, a little bit more focused on what needs to happen. So again, you're going to take in a breath that lasts four seconds. You're going to hold four seconds. You're going to exhale for four seconds or four counts. And then you're going to just relax for four counts or four seconds. And then you can do it again. So the final thoughts on responding to a crisis. When you think about the 10% who respond correctly and quickly to a crisis, it's important to not become overly critical of yourself. After all, even seasoned law enforcement officers often make mistakes and judgments when both adrenaline and emotions are high. However, in those moments, it may also be impossible to sit down, take a minute or two from, for some deep breathing, and then take action. That may not be an option if lives are in danger, though. Begin using and practicing these 10 ideas on a daily basis. You can really train your mind and body to react when a crisis hits. All right. So guys, like I said, I'm going to link to this article like I always do. There's a lot of other great links here that you can go and uh, just bounce off of this article. Um, Just a lot of great information here. So as I was preparing for this article, I put together a couple of other, you know, five other suggestions when we are talking about training our brain or at least preparing for a crisis around us. And so I want to go through these and I'll expand on some of these, maybe a little bit more than the normal. But, um, you know, this is just kind of a, an add on to the article. So the first thing is this. Look and see how people around you respond in a crisis. Now, I think that's important because it's important to know how you respond in a crisis and you're practicing and you're training yourself to be able to do that. But it's important to know 
what other people are going to do and how they're going to respond. Because sometimes people can respond in really crazy ways that throw a whole wrench in everything that is going on. And not only are you dealing with the crisis, but now you're dealing with a crazy person that's doing something, you know, you know, crazy, (laughs) crazy. And they're, and they're adding to the problem because they don't know how to deal with stress. They don't know how to respond in an emergency situation. So watch how people deal with a regular crisis right now. And I have a regular kind of like in quotes because regular could be a flat tire. Regular could be you're at work and the power goes out for an extended period of time. How do the people around you react? Uh, you could be uh, at work and, you know, I don't know, the, they, they come in and say, hey, our internet is down and we're not able to process our, our checks. You know, that would be a big deal. You deal with someone who, you know, someone's money and that that's a big deal. And so how, how do people respond in something like that? So watch how people respond to regular crisis now at home, at work with money in your people in your neighborhood and those kinds of things. I mean, watch the Facebook. If you have a Facebook group, watch the Facebook group with people and, and how they respond that can just, just online that can tell you a whole lot about some people, you know? And I, so I think that's important because then you get an idea of who, you know, when you're around a real situation, a real, a, a quote unquote, real crisis, how they're going to respond because they'll respond even worse, right? And so it's important to get a gauge right now of how people will respond. One of the things that I think is valuable that that I've you know read in the last couple of years in uh, in the preparedness community is when you read articles from people that have really gone through like big crises, like um, you know like uh, Selco over in Bosnia, and so. Uh, Selko has his own website. He has his own courses that he that he shares. Uh, he's really linked up with Daisy Luther over at the Organic Prepper, and so a lot of the times, you know, they she posts his content over there as well. And I've read a lot of those articles here about how things were when you know when they were surrounded, when the city was surrounded, and things completely broke down. The society completely broke down. And so I think it's important to read the reactions and how people responded in those situations. I've had Fernando Aguirre on uh, a lot uh, on the podcast, and I, I, I usually watch a lot of his videos as well on YouTube because he talks about how things happen in Argentina. And he went through the collapse in Argentina, and he still has a lot of people and family members there, and he responds to things that are going on there and things that are going on, you know, all over the world, really. And he kind of responds to that. And he has a very sensible, logical way of looking at things. And so I really like to get his take on it. And his books are really great books. Um, if you are really looking for something to to read and and to uh, just to, to beef up your survival skills, I think those are, are like no-brainers. You should get those, especially if you want to find out about what happened in the collapse. The one, you know, surviving the collapse in, in Argentina, I think that's a really great one. But then his, his uh, street survival skills, uh, all the things that he learned and the ways that things that he handled himself in Argentina during that time, I, very important. And so uh, great, great information there. And then the other one that I would say is another, um, another person that is connected with Daisy Luther over at the Organic Prepper is Jose from Venezuela. 
can't remember his last name, but uh, he shared a lot about what Venezuela was was what was going on in Venezuela during their collapse, and and really still there. I mean, he's he moved out of the country. His wife and and child finally came with them, but then they wound up moving back, and they live out in the country in Venezuela as opposed to living in the you know in the city where they were living before. But he has some good takes on you know how people responded and what to expect and different things like that. Those are like real. Those are the type of the the big scenarios that we talk about in the preparedness community. Of course, nobody's gone through you know an EMP or or, or things like that. But you can read about survival stories from people in uh, you know Hiroshima and how you know nuclear a nuclear bomb affected them. Uh, you can always read about stuff like that. You know, there's uh, the different collapses that have happened in, you know, like in Russia and then Greece. And, you know, those are a little bit more recent. And finding survival or survivor stories on, on, on how people reacted and responded in those situations kind of give you a little insight into the, into the psyche of people. Um, really, and then who knows, and probably would be some cultures, like even like what happened with Fukushima and all that in Japan, some cultures are a little bit more calm and, and, and they're able to, to go through crisis a little bit better. You know, you got to look at your situation. You know, how would that happen in, in your area? But anyway, that first one here, that first idea is, you know, how do people around you respond in a crisis? And I think it's important and valuable to have that kind of information. And so when you when you are in a quote unquote regular crisis, just pay attention to how people are responding. So number two is get confident about your skills, abilities and preps so that you don't panic in an emergency and then help your family to do the same. Now, the article kind of reference this a little bit and i just want to go into a little bit deeper um aspect of this because i think this is really important is when you feel confident about your skills then you're able to just you know you're able to go with it i mean it's like there's no question about it and so in a real crisis you need to be able to have that confidence in your skills to move forward you know, be confident in your plan, be confident in, in what needs to happen, be confident in what to do, what not to do. Right. And so I think that's really important. And like the article said, that only comes with practice. Now there are some things that you can't practice. You can't practice, you know, what happens when, you know, an EMP, you know, hits or whatever. You can't practice nuclear war, but you can kind of do, you know, some scenarios. You can turn the lights off. You can you can kind of go through the scenario, uh, you know, in your head. You can actually even practice it if your family is on board with it. That would mean turning off the water, turning off electricity, doing all those kinds of things. I mean, some families would be into that and others, you like, you know, uh, probably not not so much like forget that you know i'm not giving up my phones or my internet or my netflix or anything like that the thing about family here and i wanted to talk a little bit about this you really have to be purposeful about bringing them along and so this is a very sensitive thing because if they're not into it you're going to push them away if your family is not into preparedness if they're not into survival if they're not into you know prepping if they're not into that kind of stuff you're, you're going to push people away. And I've seen that not only in families, I've seen that happen in organizations as well, where the owner or someone who is in charge wants to 
help people get better prepared. And so they start going into scenarios and start throwing it out there and it freaks out people and people start pushing back on that, you know? And so you really need to be careful about how you do it. I absolutely love the fact now that my kids and the one that's married, especially, and, and he lives by, you know, he lives with his wife and they live in their own apartment and things like that. When things get crazy, they're they're better prepared now and so they're paying attention to like when we had the freeze the last freeze they were better prepared you know they were better prepared with water they were better prepared with being able to cook and not being able to use their electric stove um, when hurricanes come or big big storms are coming they're better prepared and a lot of that is because i've talked about it so so much and they see the benefits of it even with you know the the pandemic and different things like that um, they they see the benefit of being prepared and having having toilet paper, having that, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I th- actually, I think he got a bidet. I mean, that's what that's what they they went to. But the you know, I, I love it when I hear them talk about being better prepared. You know, all my kids do that. But if your family is not, then you're going to have to go into stealth mode. And uh, I, I don't. I'm not saying that you need to be sneaky and you need to. You know, uh, you know, keep things from them, but instead gamify it. And so if you've ever been on, like, for instance, if you use uh, Grammarly, so if you write things online and you use the extension Grammarly, Grammarly will tell you every so often, hey, you've, you've, man, you're like, you're a pro, you're writing, you know, you wrote 10,000 words this week or this month or whatever it is, however often they send it to you. You know, you got this kind of achievement, you know. And it's really kind of a thing just to kind of make you feel good about it. Audible does the same thing. So if you have Audible, it'll send you like, hey, you know, you you hit this milestone or you hit this thing or, you know, whatever, this achievement. And so if you can gamify being prepared, uh, it, would, it, it will definitely help. So, for instance, let me give you a couple of ideas here. One of the things that we always talk about is like camping. So camping adventures. So you plan a family camping trip where you introduce various survival skills, such as setting up a tent, building a fire, identifying edible plants, navigating using a compass. And the thing is you frame it as a fun adventure rather than formal training. So you're like, hey, we're going on a treasure hunt, right? At the, at the end of the treasure, you go to a campground. You, you're, maybe you're familiar with the camp, camp, campground. Maybe you know ahead of time, whatever it might be is you said a treasure hunt and the the treasure at the end is everyone goes and gets ice cream or you know you go to the the you know whatever you whatever it might be right but anyway so you you plan this this thing you know where you're actually uh, this, this little adventure and it's like, Hey, we have a map and we're going to do this. And so, you know, you're, you're doing map skills and things like that. You, you have to know your family and how much they'll go for something like that. But that's something that you can start to introduce and you just gamify it. How can you make it fun to be able to, to move forward? Um, another thing that's kind of similar to that is scavenger hunts. So organizing a scavenger hunt in your backyard or your local park that incorporates elements of survival skills. For instance, you can hide items related to first aid, uh, navigation, emergency supplies, and provide clues that lead to their discovery, right? So maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a 
a rhyme or something, you know. Uh, there's families that like love breakout rooms. If you've ever gone to that and uh, you, you go and you have the series of things that you need to get through. And if you get through and puzzles you need to solve and all these different things. And sometimes they help you out and sometimes they don't like create a breakout, you know, and you're just, you, you, you it's a, it's a fun adventure, right? But it's a scavenger hunt or, you know, a breakout that you're doing and you're creating it for your family. And while you're doing it, you're incorporating, you're dropping little survival things in it. It might not be full on, full on training, but you're dropping little scenarios and little things in there. Like maybe like you've created an emergency binder. And one of the things is you got to look into, you know, you, you got to you throw the emergency binder down and that's part of the puzzle and they got to find in the emergency binder, you know, a secret or a clue that gets them to the next stage, right? So those are kinds of things that would be very helpful. Another idea is just cooking lessons, teaching cooking skills while incorporating survival knowledge. And, and I mean, that sounds like, oh, survival knowledge, right? But just talking about food storage, you know, like, uh, hey, we're, we're cooking from scratch and we have all this uh, we have this, this, these basic ingredients. We have bulk flour and bulk this and bulk salt, salt and sugar and all this kind of stuff. And you can, you know, bring it out. They might start asking questions. Why do we buy it in bulk? Why do we have it this way? Well, it's cheaper and we have a lot of it. And you, you can flash back to the pandemic. Remember in the pandemic, we weren't able to get some things. Well, we can make bread if we want to make bread, right? You can talk about, you can incorporate things like water purification and, and you know, different ingredients that you would need to make whatever, you know, in case of emergencies. So you can encourage them to prepare meals using limited resources. Like, hey, well, let's make a meal using these, or let's make some bread just using these three ingredients and let's see what we come up with. And you don't have to, you don't even have to talk about survival. You don't even have to talk about preparedness, but you're teaching them how to do something and it's fun and it's easy. They get to eat it. They get the, the, the gamification of that, right? Is that they get to eat it right away with a little bit of bread and, and jelly or whatever it might be. And so you're, you're building that in there. Not, not only that, you're helping kids learn a valuable lesson in cooking where so many people don't, you know, and I think that's, that's great. You know, my, my son has learned a lot of recipes just looking at TikTok and social media. And I don't, I don't have TikTok. I don't like TikTok. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not an advocate of it, but the young people are, but he has learned cooking and, and different recipes and stuff by looking at that. And so, I mean, I kind of count that as a win, you know, so, uh, you know, bounce off of that. Another thing you can do is just doing nature walks. So you're not doing camping, you're not doing game of, uh, you're not doing scavenger hunts, but you're just doing a, a nature walk or a hike and you're taking a family into natural settings, you know, and, and while you're doing that, if you are into edibles and you're into knowing what the environment looks like, you can point out different things. I mean, imagine walking on a trail and you see something that's edible and you, you get your, your kids around there and you're like, Hey, I wonder if that's going to be, if that's any good to eat. And they're like, Oh no, I wouldn't eat it. And you just pick it up and you put it in your mouth and you eat it. And can you imagine like, they're like, Ooh, that's gross. And then you, you know, you realize they realize a little bit later on, you don't kill over and die. You're like, guys, that's an edible. This is something that grows in nature that people don't even realize. People think it's a weed, but you can actually eat it if you really needed to. Right. And so you can talk about things like that. You can talk about 
poisonous plants, you know, like, okay, I eat this one, this one's good, but this one over here, don't ever eat this one. This one, you'll, you'll really get diarrhea or you really, you'll die from this one. You know, you can talk about, you know, the, you know, animals and, and how to respond to, to encounters, you know, uh, with, with different animals in, in life, you know, if you're out there in, in, in nature, you know, especially those of you that live in places where you have, you know, bigger animals like bears and things like that, you know, on, in nature, that's one of those things. Another another thing is movie nights. You know, you can watch a survival themed movie or documentary and engage in discussion afterwards, just asking different questions. And sometimes you don't even have to ask questions. You can just uh, they'll come up themselves. Like they're like, "Hey, well, what about that? Or what about that?" You know, and and it encourages them to be able to think th- think through things. I remember when National Geographic's was doing um, American Blackout. And I had all my kids sit around and, you know, it was a, a, a docudrama, whatever. If you've never seen it, I think you can find it on, on YouTube. I actually had an article at one point on Ed That Matters that linked to one of them on, on, um, on YouTube. And then there was a, a British version, British Blackout as well, or UK Blackout or something like that. Anyway, um, it was a docudrama. And so I had them sit around and, and watch it and they were into it because it was a drama and it was, you know, it had all those kinds of things, but it also had people coming in and talking about it. And so they were asking questions and they were into it. And so it's the same kind of things. Like I didn't even have to say anything. I was like, Hey, I want you I want to get y'all's opinion on this is I think I was doing a review for national geographics for proper website at that time. I'm like, Hey, I want, I want to get your, your opinion on this. So I need y'all to watch it with me. And so they were, they were, they got into it. I was really, you know, I was really happy about that. But you can use movies, you know, for kids. There's there's kids movies that you can use to do uh, to talk about survival and, and different themes along survival and preparedness. You can play role playing games, right? Organize role playing scenarios where family members take on different roles and act out emergency situations. Maybe you do charades and you do, uh, you know, it's all like preparedness type stuff. But you don't really, you know, say that it's going to be preparedness. I know Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy put out a survival game years and years ago. It was on Kickstarter and I remember, you know, uh, buying it and I never really played it. Uh, it's, it's sitting in my, <laughs> I don't play a lot of board games. We play more card games, but anyway, it's sitting in my closet, but you know, that's one that you could possibly do. And so, uh, you could, uh, play role-playing games. Um, you can do DIY projects. Again, you can in- engage in do-it-yourself projects that align with survival skills. You don't have to tell them that it's survival skills, but you can you can talk about you know basic woodworking. Uh, you know if you're if you you know how one of the biggest fads right now is like burning burning wood. You know having giving it that burn. Uh, texture. And so I know a lot of the times they use torches, but you can go old school by building a fire first and then using that. And so you can incorporate that into your DIY. I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, pulling, uh, you know, just pulling things out of the air right there on that one. But, you know, there's creating some solar powered, um, whatever it might be, you know, buying the parts for that and creating some solar uh, solar lights that you can use, um, creating a basic shelter in the backyard, uh, setting up a tent, using ropes and, and knots and things like that. I mean, you're just using like a tent, like a, like a sheet to set up a tent and letting them do that in the living room. That would be just an easy way of teaching them how to set up using knots and then using, you know, creating a shelter that way. So there's, you know, a lot of little DIY projects like that. Um, you can garden, um, storytelling. Maybe if you, if you read to your kids, there are books that you can read that have, uh, you know, a survival and, 
you know, have, have that, you know, I talked about not too long ago, I was doing Little House on the Prairie and you can, you can use that to bounce off of that. And so that's not one of those scary survival things. You know, you can read hatchet if, especially if it's at night, <laughs> you don't want to read something scary at night, but if you just read to them, you know, regular, you know, or even if you do read at night, you know, reading Little House on the Prairie books would, uh, would work out. Um, you can get into community involvement, engaging in community programs or volunteer work, but things that help to, uh, you know, disaster preparedness, right? And, and getting them out there, participating in local emergency response drills and supporting organizations that promote safety, like, uh, you know, looking at, you know, your, your crime watch or whatever, or even when the fire department is doing any kind of outreach to your neighborhood, um, you can kind of sponsor that. You know, a lot of the times they get uh, fire, uh, they get fire alarms and or smoke alarms, and they get different things like that. You know, that uh, they give out, they get grants and get money, and they give up, give out the neighborhoods. And so maybe you can uh, be in charge of sponsoring that for your neighborhood or for your street, and get your kids involved with that, and talk about how important it is for fire safety and and, and knowing how to get out of a home when it's necessary. So, oh my gosh, that was a lot right there. And that was just number two. Uh, let me go ahead and bounce into number three. I promise the other ones are not going to be as long. But, uh, you know, helping prepare for a crisis, helping yourself and your family. One of the things is you can think through and plan emergency scenarios before they happen. This article talked a little bit about that and get, it actually had some great uh, some plans that you could you know think through. But you need to have a plan, right? And you need to envision the scenario and imagine how you will respond in your head. Now, this is very, very important. Um, There is some research that was done that your mind does not know the difference between what you're thinking through and what you're imagining and what you're playing through, what you're running through your head and what is real. And so that can kind of get scary, I guess, if you take it to the extreme. But for instance, let me give you, let me give you an example. When you are dreaming, and let's just say you have a very scary dream. You wake up and you're sweating. Your heart is beating fast. You, you know, you have all that, you know, anxiety and you wake up and you realize, oh, it's just a dream, right? The fact is, is that your mind didn't realize it was a dream. It was going through this, this, this sequence here. Same kind of thing is when you're thinking through emergency scenarios, like close your eyes and think through that emergency. What would I do in case of whatever it is, right? Fill in the blank. What would I do in case of a fire? What would I do in case of an earthquake? What would I do in case of, you know, a blizzard that's rolling in? And you start to play that through your mind and maybe you're writing things down as you're doing it. Maybe you have the plan already and you're just kind of like trying to solidify that in your mind. But that is a very powerful thing to do. There's another example about this when you see the Olympics when you have, when you see like the the divers or even the skiers, when you see them and they'll put on their headphones and you see them, they just have, they have their eyes closed and they're just thinking through the flip or they're thinking through all of that in their in their mind. And so I, you know, that's one of those ways is because that that's very important because they're envisioning it happening. Skiers, you will see them and sometimes you see them actually leaning. So they have their eyes closed and they're thinking about the run that they're about to do. And they're, you know, they're leaning left, they're leaning right, they're leaning forward. And so they're envisioning it because that helps them, you know, go through the, the, the sequence so that when they actually do it, they're a little bit better prepared. 
And so that's where I think that's really important. And for your family, you know, you need to be able to help them think through the scenarios and the plans as well, because when you do that, they'll feel empowered or secure. So this is the case if your family is on board with it, but you know, on board with preparedness. But when you start building them up as strong individuals and they're able, their confidence and their skills are built up, they're able to react and respond as needed, you know? And so you want to make sure that they feel empowered and they feel secure. You need to build them up, talk them up, and encourage them in these different scenarios. All right, number four is get preparedness tips on what works for you. So again, you might not need wilderness survival tips. You might, you, you might not ever plan on going out to the wilderness and surviving, but you could get tips on what works in your situation. So create or tighten up your emergency plan, you know, and, and get tips for that. Um, you know, suburban survival skills, you know, urban survival skills, you know, those types of tips that would work for you. Stock up and create an inventory of essential, uh, essential supplies, right? And so, you know, think about what would be important for your scenarios, your situations. Don't go off of some YouTube video that you saw, some article that you read, some podcast that you heard. Get what you need for your situation. Learn basic first aid. We've kind of talked about that in the article. Store water and figure out a plan on how you would get more if the tap wasn't running because water is going to be universal to every survival situation in, in no matter what, right? So if you're, if, if, if you have stored water, that is great. That's important. But then what if the tap runs out and you can't get water anymore? Do you know what you would do in your scenario? Do you know where you would go? Have you tried that? You know, like, hey, okay, I would go to abandoned, abandoned buildings. Have you ever gone to a building to try to get water from them? You know, now if they had security and things like that, they might not let you, but you know, have you walked the perimeter? Is it as easily easy as you think it will be? You know, I'm going to go to this pond or I'm going to go to the river. Or I'm going to go. Have you gone down there? Have you hauled water up from the pond or the river and brought it back? Have you used your, your filtration system, your purification systems to be able to drink that water, you know, or is it just something like, oh, something I can do. So what would you do in that kind of situation? You know, some other tips were what about securing your home? You might not go out, run out to the wilderness, but securing your home is a preparedness thing that you, you definitely need to do. And so what can you do in that kind of situation? Know your neighborhood. I think, you know, drive around your neighborhood. That's, that's a preparedness tip that you definitely need to, to be aware of. You know, if you come in and come out, that's all you do. Be, you know, especially if you've lived there for a while, has your, has your neighborhood or your community changed? Have you seen things going downhill or are they getting better? Uh, what about establishing a network of, of, of other people that are like-minded and maybe that works with your church? Maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe it's just your neighbors right around you, but maybe you're like-minded and you're able to, to uh, work with each other. Uh, what about learning self-defense techniques? That's prepper tips right there that, that would be very helpful that are not necessarily wilderness survival or you know blizzard. I'm in Houston. I'm not going to go through a blizzard, although I always think about you know winter storm Uri and the, the five days that we were below freezing here. It wasn't a blizzard, but pipes were busting and all the different kinds of things were going on. It definitely was a, a situation. I mean, people died, you know, and so... Yeah, I'm not probably going to experience a lot of those types of things, but what am I going to do in heat? If the power goes off and I have excessive heat, like right now, we're hitting like 114 feel like temperatures and things like that. My AC is running constantly. 
what if the power was to go out? What can I do? You know, and that's not like, you know, the end of the world type things, but that is just like real world prepper tips that, that would be very helpful. Um, how do you stay informed of what goes on around you? You know, how do you, do you use Twitter? Are there some news alerts? Are there specific apps that you use to stay informed? Um, have you ever thought about creating a communication plan for your family or for your workplace or even for your neighborhood? You know, that would be able to, people would be able to communicate with. That's a prepper tip that, you know, you might, would come in very helpful. Um, have you ever practiced? A uh, proper tip would be practicing how to blend in, you know, so that you learn your community and you you blend in there. For some people, you've heard this before, you've, maybe you've read articles. Some places, you know, wearing camouflage is not something you, you want to be doing, you know, to blend in. But in other places, you know, that might be what people wear. And so wearing camouflage, if you're not wearing camouflage, people are looking at you weird. You're like, hey, what's going on with you? You know, why aren't you, why aren't you wearing what everybody else wears? So learning how to blend in is a, is a prepper tip that you definitely want to learn. So there's a lot of skills that you can learn that don't necessarily mean, you know, going out to the wilderness or, or all the other things that sometimes people think about when they think, think about preparedness. There's a lot of skills that you can learn that would be very beneficial to you and also to your family. And then lastly, understand that preparedness, a lot of preparedness is mind shift. Right? A lot of it is in your mind. A lot of it is being prepared to act and to know what to do. It is not necessarily gear that you have to buy. Now, there is some gear that you need to buy. There are some things that you need to have that is, is smart, but that's not where you start off. And that's the, the biggest mistake that a lot of people make is they get into preparedness and they start buying stuff and, and they don't go through the necessary mind shift and the understanding of why they need that. You know, you need to have that long-term perspective. I like having that, the short-term perspective because you can always have an emergency that is short-term. You know, you lose a job, you you know, the, or the, the electricity goes out or whatever. You know, you have a blackout. But then the long-term perspective, right, that you have. So embrace the idea that preparedness is not just about short-term emergencies or long-term emergencies. You need to be prepared for all the challenges that might come in the future. And so this shift involves recognizing that preparedness is an ongoing process and requires consistent effort. Having a proactive approach. If you, have a, if you adopt a proactive approach rather than the reactive mindset, then you're able to respond so much better. You know, when you have that reactive mindset, you're not prepared. You're not making the good decisions. You know, and so you, you don't want to wait for the crisis to happen to come up with a plan. And that's why we talk about plans so much. It's so important. So shifting, having that mind shift that, hey, I want to be proactive. I want to be prepared. I want to have a plan. So whenever a situation goes down, I'm ready to move. I, I know what I need to do. Having that mind shift of self-reliance. Develop self-reliance by acquiring skills and knowledge that, that help you to navigate the different situations that you're going to be involved with independently. So you're not depending like, oh my gosh, when is the government going to come through for me? When is you know, the city going to come do this? When is that going to happen? You know, churches are, are churches open that I can you know, uh, have food or whatever? You know, during, during the pandemic, when things were going on, there was uh, a lot of uh, the food pantries were running out of food. And when you looked at the lines, like, uh, you know, in the Houston area, they would have the, the news would go out and they would, they would record those. I mean, people with nice cars 
we're we're going through that you know and so that's one of those things is like you, you want to be you know you don't want to be reliant on that you know if if you need that and that's you know fine you know hopefully that's there for you but you don't want to be reliant on that you want to be able to you know to do what you need to do having some basic first aid skills means that you don't have to be reliant on going to the emergency room when something small happens, right? A little cut or whatever might happen. And, uh, or, you know, you're dealing with a, a fever, like, oh my gosh, you know, fever. And some people run to the emergency room right away because, you know, you have a fever. Well, you know, if you know that a fever is trying to, you know, uh, it's the body's natural response to deal with infection and deal with things that are going on in your body. You let it go for a, a little while, you know, and you, and you you monitor it before you wind up going to an emergency room or urgent care or something along those lines, you know. And so, having some basic information, uh, first aid and survival first aid information would be very, very uh, beneficial and helpful, right? And so the shift there is, is really taking responsibility, personal responsibility for your own well-being and not leaving it up to anybody else. Another mind shift is adaptability. You know, embrace flexibility and adaptability as a core principle of, of your life because things don't always go down the way you want it. And you can have the best plan, but you, you need to understand that sometimes things are going to happen and it's not going to be according to your plan. So you need to be able to adapt to it, be flexible. And that's a, that's a really important mind shift that is needed, especially in today's age with all the craziness that's going on. And then the mind shift to community involvement. You know, Paul Martin, we, I had him on the podcast not too long ago. If you didn't listen to that episode, you need to go back and find that one. It was a, it was a great episode. But he really is, uh, he emphasizes this. You know, get involved in your community. Get, get involved in your churches. You know, understand that preparedness is, goes beyond just you and your family. Not everyone's going to embrace preparedness like, you know, they're, they're ready to, to, to go and, and, you know, buy six months, a year's worth of food storage. But you can be involved out there and, and help out as much as possible. And in the meantime, when you're doing that, you get to know other people that are like-minded. You get to know the community. You get, uh, you know, you get information on what's going on out there. The, the emphasis here is that collaboration with others, sharing resources and supporting one another, that's not always part of the prepper mindset. And that really needs to be a mind shift. And I love that Paul always talks about that. And it really needs to be one of the mind shifts that we have. So guys, that's five things that I talked about there. Uh, a lot of different, different uh, ads on add-ons to the uh, to the article, and I hope it was a, a benefit for you uh, on that one. So let me know what you think. You can always email me at todd at readyyourfuture.com to see if there's anything else that you would add to help prepare for a crisis. Uh, I'd love to hear from you there. Well, guys, that's it for episode 789. Like always, I'm going to link to the article. Go check that one out. There's a lot of great stuff there. Hey, if you found this episode valuable, I would really appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.